Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 42 this morning. Matthew 24, 42, if you're using the black uh, Bibles provided there, that's on page 830. Our study through the Gospel of Matthew has brought us to verse 42. And so this morning we want to consider the end of chapter 24 and even go ahead into this first parable of chapter 25. So I'd ask the congregation to stand, please, as we read the text we want to study this morning. So please follow along in your copy as I read verses 42 through 2513. Let's hear the word of God together. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed. And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and, and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Have you ever been caught unprepared? I wish we had time to just kind of go around the room because I think some of you are gifted at always being prepared, right? And so... In those few moments when maybe you are caught unprepared, it's really stressful, right? Um, But think about, have you ever been in a situation where something catches you by complete surprise and you are not ready for it? Maybe it was a a professor that that gave a pop quiz, right? And you were were lost in that class and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Maybe it was company showing up at your front door unannounced and the house is a mess, there's no... Good food to prepare. 
Maybe it was a a pandemic hits and you have no extra toilet paper. (laughs) It's distressing to be caught unprepared. It's one thing to not be ready for company or for a quiz. I mean, the the consequences in those cases of being unprepared are, are fairly minimal. But there is an event in the future for which you want to make sure that you are ready. Because being unprepared for that event will have eternal consequences. The title of the sermon today is Prepared for the Lord's Return. Prepared for the Lord's Return. One day the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth in power and great glory and we will all stand before him at the final judgment. And in our text today, Jesus calls us to be prepared for his return. And then he explains what it looks like to be prepared. And he drives home how vitally important it is to be prepared. So that's our theme today, is being prepared for the Lord's return. Last week, in verses 29 through 41, Jesus taught that his return is certain. And that it's going to be awesome. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be unpredictable. No one knows the day or the hour of his return. We saw last week, and we're going to see that same truth reiterated this week. And so in light of that, then verse 42 begins, our text today begins, Therefore, stay awake. Jesus means be on the alert. You could say he means be prepared. This verb, stay awake, that's, that's an imperative. It's a command. It's in the present tense, which means it's to be ongoing. This is not just something like, like buying fire insurance, right? You know, like, okay, I'm prepared for that. I'm done. No, this is an ongoing state. This is to characterize you. This is to, that's why it's translated, stay awake. Obviously not talking physically, right? Talking spiritually. Be ready for the Lord's return. Christ's followers are to live in a state of readiness. We are to live in such a way that whenever Jesus returns, we will be prepared. Jesus then gives the reason for this constant readiness there in verse 42, right? Therefore, well, we already see it, by the way, it's it's sandwiched there. Therefore, stay awake for, another reason, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Like I said, that command is linked before and after, right? He says, therefore, because the previous verses taught that the return of Christ would be sudden, it would be unpredictable. Remember, he gave the example of the flood. uh, Like back in Noah's day, people were carrying on their normal activities, and then all of a sudden, judgment came. And he he says it's going to be the same way with his return. People are going to just be carrying on, doing their normal thing, their normal lives, and then Christ is going to return, and people are going to be caught unprepared, and if they're unprepared, they're going to be swept away in judgment. So in light of that truth, he says, therefore, stay awake, be ready, be constantly ready. And then again, he gives a, follows it up with the same reason, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. The point is, if people knew when Christ would return, right, if you knew exactly when he was going to return, then theoretically, you could procrastinate. You could could put off getting prepared until right before the time. But the point is, since we do not know 
when Jesus is coming back. We are told to live in a state of readiness. Be prepared for his return because it could happen at any moment. Jesus then gives an illustration to drive home this point in verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Right? That's a, we understand that picture. A burglar comes when the homeowner doesn't expect it. Right? If the homeowner had known when the thief was coming, then the homeowner, again, it, theoretically, right, they could have just slacked off. Right? If they knew that thief was coming at one in the morning, well, they could have just slacked off and, 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 and then made preparations right at the, at the last minute. They could have slacked off watching the house at other times and just made sure that they were prepared at that exact time. But since the homeowner doesn't know when the thief is coming, the only way to safeguard the house is to be in a constant state of readiness. Verse 44, Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The you there in Greek is emphatic. He says, you... You also must be ready, Jesus tells his disciples. Jesus tells us today, you must be ready because my coming will be like a thief in the night. You don't know when to expect it, so live in a state of readiness. Bad things happen when you are unprepared. So be prepared for the Lord's return, he's saying. And so maybe right now you're tracking with me by God's grace. You're saying, I get it. (laughs) I need to be ready. I need to be prepared for the Lord's return. But what does that mean? What does that look like, Jathan? Well, Jesus shows us then with the parable beginning in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So Jesus gives us a picture, a picture that would have been familiar in their culture, right? uh, A master of a household is going away, probably on business or whatever. He's going away, and so he leaves the household in charge of one of his servants, one of his slaves, And this servant is to make sure that while the master is away, everything continues to run smoothly, right? And and then included in those responsibilities then is to make sure that the other slaves get what they need, that they're getting their food at the proper time so they can be doing their duties. That's what what this servant in this illustration is, is called to do, is charged to do. The servant is to make sure the jobs are getting done and that the other servants are being cared for in the proper way. Now, here's the point. The servant in this example, the guy who's put in charge, he doesn't know when his master is returning. He doesn't know how long this business is going to take. He doesn't know the exact date when the master is going to return. But the servant just keeps doing what he's supposed to do. He's honest in his dealings. He doesn't abuse his authority. He, he gives his, the other servants the, the food they are supposed to have. He keeps doing what he's supposed to do every day so that whenever the master does return, what's he going to find? He's going to find the servant doing what he was supposed to do. <laughs> That's what it says. Blessed is that servant, verse 46, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. 
When the master returns, sure enough, the household is in order. The servants are fed. Everything's running smoothly. The servant was ready for his master's return. Why? Not because he knew when, when the master would come and got everything ready at the last minute. No, the, 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 the servant was ready for the master's return because he was faithfully carrying out the responsibilities he had been entrusted with. That's why in verse 45, the servant is described as faithful and wise. Think about those two descriptions, faithful and wise. This servant is faithful. Not only faithful to carry out the duties, but that demonstrates he's faithful to his master. He's loyal to his master. I think we could even say he loves his master. He wants to do right by the master. He wants to see the master the master's stuff taken care of. He wants to see his master prosper, and so he does what he was commanded to do. He's faithful. The servant is wise. How is he wise? Well, he didn't know when his master was coming back, but he knew that his master would return, right? And so the servant knew that at some point, he was going to have to give an account To his master. So he did what his master told him to do. And that was wise. That was wise. Notice that this faithful and wise servant is rewarded. Verse 46. Blessed is the the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Verse 47. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So the servant's rewarded with increased responsibilities. It's like the master says, you did such a great job taking care of my household. I'm going to put you in charge of all my possessions. You know, I want you to manage this business over here and and this investment over here. But the point is he's rewarded. Jesus then contrasts this faithful and wise servant with a wicked servant. So it's like same scenario, but now different outcome because a different character here. A different servant same situation my master leaving and putting a servant in charge of the household but this servant now in verse 46 doesn't do what he's supposed to do look at what he, he he's telling himself ah, my master's delayed my master's gone for a while he's not going to be getting back anytime soon And since he's going to be gone probably a long time, I don't need to carry out my responsibilities. I can just slough off. I can just do what I want. So instead of feeding and caring for the other servants, this wicked servant, what what does it say he does there in verse 49? Beats them. He beats his fellow servants. And and look what else he's doing. He, he, He eats and drinks with drunkards. So you see, he's he's unfaithful he's abusing the power that was entrusted to him he's he's being cruel he's being self-indulgent eating and drinking in excess he's wasting his master's resources perhaps this unfaithful servant even starts to think my master's not going to come back at all i mean he's been delayed he's who knows if this guy's ever going to you know maybe something happened to him i don't know if he's ever coming back but verse 50 He does come back. The master of that servant will come on a day when he, the servant, does not expect him. And in an hour, he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. 
In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the master returned at an unexpected time and the wicked servant was caught unprepared. And so the wicked servant was judged severely. He was cut into pieces and placed with the hypocrites. You say, what does that mean? Well, I think cut into pieces is just a graphic and symbolic way to describe his punishment. But clearly we see what his ultimate punishment is, right? In this account as Christ applies it to his hearers and to us. This wicked servant is cast into hell. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place the Bible says is, uh, describes as Outer darkness and eternal torment. Eternal punishment. Because he was not loyal to his master. He was not prepared. His actions show that he did not love his master. And so with this parable, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be prepared for his coming, doesn't he? To be in that state of readiness. And so again, I want to direct your attention to the, for now, to think about the, the faithful and the wise servant. Because we want to say, what does this look like to be ready? Being ready for Christ's return means that you love Jesus. By God's grace, you recognize that Jesus is Lord of all. You've trusted in him as your savior. You believe the gospel that Jesus lived and died and rose again to pay for your sins and to reconcile you to God. You believe that. You're trusting in that. And and so you love Jesus and you want to be loyal to him. You want to follow him. You want to obey him. You, you, You want to become like him. Yes, you still struggle with sin. But you you want to know Jesus. You want to see him glorified through your life. And you know that Jesus is coming back. Right? Think about what what does it mean to be prepared. You believe and know that he is coming back. He's coming again. Literally, bodily. Coming to this earth and that we're all going to stand before him. You're excited to see him in the flesh. You're, you, you long to be with him forever. And so you're waiting and longing for his return. And you don't know when that's going to be. You don't know when he's coming back. But until he does, you want to be faithful to him by God's grace. You want to honor him in all that you do. You want to see the name of Christ magnified in your life. You want to serve him. You want to see his kingdom grow. That's what it looks like to be prepared for his return. That's what it looks like to be living in a state of readiness. Does that describe you? Being ready for Christ's return results in great blessing and reward. Think about the gospel. Those who are ready for Christ's return are going to, as we heard and read, right? We're going to meet him. We're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to meet him in the air. We're going to be welcomed into his presence. We're going to enjoy the blessings of his eternal kingdom. Great reward. But 
the reason Jesus would teach us and warn us and give us these parables is, and we'll see it in the very next one as well, the truth of the matter is many are not ready for Christ's return. Many are not prepared for the Lord's return. Many are like the wicked servant. Remember, what, what did the wicked servant say? Eh, my master is delayed. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if, if he's coming back. And the Bible says that's exactly how wicked people think. The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing on as they were from the beginning of creation. You see, these guys are explicitly denying the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. Many today maybe don't say those words, but they live that way. They, they live as if, as if Christ never came the first time. <laughs> And died and rose again. They live as if he's not Lord of all. They live as if, not, as, as if all authority in heaven and earth has not been given to him, though it has. And then they certainly live as if he's not coming back. They, they don't think about it. They, they live as if they don't consider the fact that every one of us is going to stand before Lord Jesus someday. And give an account for our lives. Every one of us is going to stand before him someday and give an account for are we reconciled to him through his blood so many today say yeah they're they're like the they're like the wicked servant they're like the guys in second peter 3 ah, let's just let's just indulge ourselves let's just let's just live and have fun it's my life I just want to do what I want to do. I'm going to do whatever feels good. I'm going to live according to the lusts of my flesh. There's not going to be a judgment. There's not going to be a day I have to give an account. There's no one I need to answer to. My life. My choice. They're living as if Jesus is not coming back and they're going to be caught completely unprepared. They are not ready for Christ's return and they're going to face eternal punishment in hell if they're still that way when he returns. And I hope that's not true of anyone here today. Jesus then gives another parable in chapter 25. I mean, this is so important. Jesus is just going to keep... We're still in the Olivet Discourse, right? We're still on the Mount of Olives, Jesus teaching his disciples. And in 25, he's just going to give parable after parable, really reiterating the same truths, but with some new, you know, some nuances, new, new information. So look at this first one with me today. The parable of the ten virgins. Chapter 25, verse 1. Then... At the time, meaning at the time of the Lord's return, right? When the Lord returns, at Christ's second coming, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so again, just to reiterate this point, we've seen Jesus talk about the, the kingdom of, of heaven, or, you know, if it's, if that's how Matthew says it, other gospel writers, the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus brought in the kingdom of God. It's already not yet. So, But here he's talking about the final kingdom, right? 
Christ's return, the final consummated kingdom. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Again, to Jesus' hearers in their culture, they would have totally got this picture. We, we have to kind of do a little more work to figure it out. But this is a wedding, obviously, right? In, in their culture, here's how weddings worked, right? A young couple became betrothed. We know about that because of Joseph and Mary, right? Betrothal was like an engagement, except even more binding in the fact that um, you, you needed a divorce even to break that off, right? Even before you came together as a couple. So a young couple would become betrothed, and the bridegroom would be getting everything ready, right, for the actual marriage, the actual wedding. And when everything was ready, he came for his bride, And the bridegroom would come and he'd have his party with him and he'd be coming into town or whatever, right, to get his bride. And so, you know, already it's like a celebration, you know, he's got a little procession behind him. But then the bride bride has her wedding party as well, just like we do today. And that's what this is talking about, by the way. When it says uh, ten virgins, it's it's not talking at all about their, there's no sexual connotation here. You could think of them as ten bridesmaids. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Ten bridesmaids. So the bride has her attendants. She has her bridesmaids. And in their culture, when, when news came that the, the bridegroom was on his way, that he was marching into town, then the bride and her party would march out to meet him. Right? And so it was just this huge celebration. And they would meet and, and you know, have the ceremony wherever. Right? And, and a huge uh, party. And so that's what the picture is here. We've got these ten bridesmaids. That's who we're, we're focusing on, really, and, of course, the bridegroom. Now, lamps. It says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the, the bridegroom. Again, you can imagine that. If it's a procession at night, they need some light. But, again, it, it doesn't really matter, but scholars think that these lamps were actually probably more like torches, Right, Because actual lamps that held oil would have been used and reserved for indoor use in the household. So I'm picturing like a torch. You know, if you've ever seen, well, obviously you've seen movies, right, where they have torches. I'm thinking of the cover of National Treasure, right, where he's holding the torch. You know? That may be what they had here. These torches would have been wrapped with strips of cloth. And these strips would have, would have been doused in olive oil. Because that's how they burn, and that's how they keep burning, right, for a while. And so you, can, you see why this would be important, right? If the bridegroom comes in, in, in the middle of the night, you, you lead out this procession, you need some light to meet the bridegroom. So that's the picture here. we got bridesmaids gathered together with the bride, waiting to form this procession to go meet the bridegroom when he comes. Who's the bridegroom in this story? Christ, right? Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. Which that, that could be a whole nother sermon right there, right? I mean, and the Bible talks a lot about that, but that him even putting himself in that picture was another way of him showing that he's God. Because even throughout the Old Testament, that, that's how God was portrayed with his people, right? As they're his bride, he's the bridegroom. Certainly the New Testament makes that very clear. And so this is a good picture for, you know, when we think of this scene, this is an, 
an, an accurate picture of what it looks like for the church to be waiting for the return of Christ, which is exactly what he's talking about, of course. So, all that to set the scene. Verse 2, five of them, five of these bridesmaids were foolish, five were wise. Okay, that's interesting. But let's understand, foolish doesn't, isn't talking about their IQ, right? In the Bible, most of the time when it describes someone as a fool or foolish, it's talking about the condition of their heart towards God, not their IQ. So five of the bridesmaids are foolish, five are wise. Why, why would Jesus say that? Well, he gives the reason in verse 3 for characterizing them that way. Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So they all have these lamps or these torches, whatever they are, but the foolish ones have no oil. Again, if it's a torch, maybe they just have the rag. Maybe it's got a little bit of oil in it, but that's going to quickly get burned, burned up, right? And they're going to need to be adding more. The point is, they needed, the, the wise ones were the ones who are prepared. They're prepared for the Lord's return because they took oil, which would ensure a bright and lasting flame. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So here again, we have Jesus saying that his return is going to be delayed. Right? So don't, don't, get, don't get thinking it's not going to happen just because there's a delay. He said there would be a delay. And so the bridegroom's delayed, so the bridesmaids, what's happening to them as they're waiting for him? Well, they're getting drowsy. They're, they're sleeping. And again, that's not bad, right? So I'm picturing them, you know, maybe they at first had their, their lights, lamps lit, their torches lit. They were ready to, they thought they were ready to meet, but, but now the bridegroom's not here. So they're getting sleepy. The torches are kind of burning out. They kind of set those aside and they fall asleep. Nothing wrong with that. No rebuke is given to, to them for falling asleep, right? That's not evil, because all ten fall asleep. That's not what distinguishes them between wise and foolish. Verse 6. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. So he was delayed. But finally he comes in the middle of the night. And someone spots him. Someone yells out. Hey the bridegroom's on his way. Someone yells out to the bridesmaids. He's coming. You guys go meet him. Go do your job. Right? Verse 7, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Again, depending on if it's a lamp or a torch, you know, it depends on what that would look like. If it's torches, they would probably cut away the, the, the part of the cloth that's burned up, maybe wrap new cloth around it, or it certainly added more oil, the wise ones would have, right? So it can be, it can be burning, it can be produced maximum light. The foolish ones, when they go to relight their, their lamps or their torches, they realize... We don't have any extra oil. We can't get this light going. And so that leads to the problem. Verse 8, the foolish say to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And again, I know at first blush that may seem like, Wow, those wise ones, those wise bridesmaids are kind of rude, <laughs> Right? But for one, they said there's not enough. There wouldn't be enough for anybody if they, if they start dispersing it amongst everybody. But again, understand about parables, loved ones, that they're, they're teaching a main point. 
right? This parable is not about sharing. (laughs) You can learn that in kindergarten, right? This parable is about being ready for Christ's return. So, the foolish have to go off. Because they were unprepared for his return, they have to go off and try to find some oil. Meanwhile, verse 10, while they're going to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, the five who had oil and were ready, went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. So you see, because the wise bridesmaids were prepared, they were able to go out, meet the bridegroom, and go into the wedding feast, the marriage feast. And if you've read the Bible very much, you know that's salvation, right? Time and time again, the the wedding feast describes the eternal kingdom, the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is salvation. This is eternal life with Jesus forever. Who gets to enter in? It's the five who were prepared. And notice the door is shut. What does that make you think of? The door is shut. The ark, doesn't it? And he's just mentioned the ark not too many verses before. Right? Again, a picture of, uh, not just a picture, an, an event of God's judgment that came upon the world. And Noah and his family went into the ark and were safe and, the, and God shut the door. And all those who weren't who, who, had, who had laughed at Noah's preaching, who hadn't gotten ready. Now when, it, when judgment came, now they're wanting in the ark. He says, it's too late. Sorry, the door is shut. I can't do anything about it. Same thing is going to happen here. The door is shut. Verse 11, afterward the other virgins come also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. So finally the five foolish uh, bridesmaids are there. Maybe they finally found some oil, Whatever. But they, they, they've gotten there very late, right? But the door is shut. They're on the outside calling into the bridegroom saying, Open up, we want to come in. We want to be in the wedding feast. What does he say? <clears throat> verse 12. What a, what a chilling verse. What a chilling response. The bridegroom answers, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Haunting. The foolish bridesmaids thought they were going to be a part of the wedding celebration. But here's the bridegroom saying, I don't know you. You're mistaken. It's the bride. <clears throat> it's the bridegroom saying, <coughs> "Excuse me, sorry. Let me try one of these." <coughs> it's the bridegroom saying, "You're not one of mine." You're not one of mine. I don't know you. To know someone means to be in a relationship with them. It means to be loved by God. It means to be belong to God. 
So these five foolish bridesmaids, they thought they were going to be a part of the wedding feast, but in the end, they weren't ready. In the end, God doesn't know them. In the end, they're not united to Christ. And that's really one of the key things that this parable adds to our understanding of this whole truth. Is that just a profession is not enough. Just people who who look like or who think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm part of it. That doesn't mean you're really prepared. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I go to church. Doesn't mean you're prepared. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I respect God. Yeah, I, I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Doesn't mean you're prepared. Remember what it means to be prepared? That you personally love Jesus. That you personally have embraced him as Savior and Lord. That you personally are clinging to that truth. And that you're longing for his return. And that you're no longer living for yourself, but you're living for him. Not that you're earning your salvation, no. But that your life has been changed. Your orientation has been changed. And then again, Jesus closes in verse 13. Watch therefore... For you know neither the day nor the hour. Again, same lesson. Watch. Same verb that he's already used earlier in verse 42, verse 43. Call for watchfulness. Stay alert. Stay ready. So I'll close with this. Again, what, what new truths do we glean from this parable? Well, like I already said, there are people who look like they're prepared, but they aren't. You need to be personally prepared. Just mere professors are not enough. Did you notice a, a, an echo in, in this parable of something we heard earlier in Matthew? Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to be personally prepared, personally united to Christ. Here's another important truth that I pray everyone understands that this parable points out. Each person has to be prepared himself or herself. Do you notice that? Spiritual preparation cannot be shared. Preparedness for Christ's return cannot be transferred. It's not enough, kids, to say, well, my parents are Christians and they, they raised me that way. And so I'm probably fine. It's not enough to say, well, my, my wife is a Christian, and so I'm, I'm fine. Or my husband's a Christian, or my parents are Christians. No. Each person has to be personally prepared for Christ. Each person must personally turn from their sin and by faith embrace Jesus. Each person must, by God's grace, persevere in their faith. This parable teaches that. Really, this whole section teaches the perseverance in faith. Continuing to love, continuing to serve, continuing to long for Jesus. And again, that doesn't come from us. We know that's by God's grace, but it's evidence of God's grace. And so if you fail to persevere... If you fail to be longing for Jesus, that's a, that's a red flag. That's a sign. 
I need to get right with God. Last truth that I want to share with you today. This parable shows us it's too late to get prepared once Christ returns. It's too late to get prepared once Christ returns. Right? The five foolish bridesmaids, they weren't prepared. Oh, bridegroom comes. Oh, shoot, I'm not prepared. I need to go get prepared. Too late. Too late. Door shut. When Christ returns and every eye sees him as we considered last week. There may be people, well, we, we already saw, they're going to be mourning. They're going to be like, oh, no. I ignored Christ my whole life. Oh, no, I never bowed to him. I, I failed to trust in him. I failed to submit to him. Oh, no, now I see. Now I understand. Too late. Too late. But God in his grace has with, withheld his return. And God in his grace has you listening to this truth even now so that you can get prepared. Are you ready for the return of Christ? He's coming again to gather his own and to judge his enemies. And so are you ready? How can you be ready? By repenting And trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Admitting you're a sinner. Throwing yourself on the mercy of God and saying, thank you for providing a Savior. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. And then, again, being in a state of readiness is keep loving and serving Jesus. Keep longing for the return of Jesus. If I can help anyone think through that or talk about that more after the service, please come and see me. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you for, um, again, your word, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus and his, his clear teaching and um, your, your kindness and, and warning people to be ready. And so, Father, we we um, praise you that Jesus is coming again. And though we don't know when he will come, and though it may seem like it's a long time coming, we know that he is coming. And so please, Father, by your spirit now, move in the hearts of, of people. Any who are not ready, Lord, any who are not prepared for his return, will you, will you enable them to get ready now? Lord, open their eyes. Give them the the faith to believe. Give them the new birth so that they can be ready. And Lord, for us, your people, we just acknowledge our continual need for your grace as well, Lord. We need your, your your grace to help us persevere. And Lord, forgive us for times when we've we've gotten distracted, when we've taken our eyes off Jesus, and so. Help us to keep uh, abiding in him and keep longing for his return. Help us to be faithful, Father.
And again, we, we long for the day when our faith will become sight. May, may that even be today. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand together and we will sing a final song of praise to the Lord today.